What's up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of the Renewable Energy Smart Pod. I'm your host, Sean McMahon. And today, we're going to be discussing something that was a hot topic this summer when temperatures got extremely hot. I'm talking about demand response. A couple of months ago, during one of the heat waves that gripped California, and let's be honest, it seemed like heat waves were everywhere this summer. But anyway, during one of those periods of extreme heat, the California ISO sent out tweets and texts urging consumers to reduce the energy they use to help utilities and other power providers avoid blackouts. That was an example of demand response. And guess what? It worked. My guest today is James Maraca, the Chief Technology Officer at Enerspons. James is going to explain how it doesn't take a crisis for demand response to pay dividends. After all, demand response is when businesses and consumers shift their electricity usage during any peak periods. James is going to explain how the latest demand response technology is making grids more reliable and cleaner. That's right, cleaner. Not only can demand response help consumers take advantage of time-based rates or other forms of financial incentives, but the latest technologies allow businesses and consumers to use more of their energy when the grid is generating more power from renewables. So demand response helps the grid go green and helps businesses and consumers save some green. So I'm excited to get to that conversation with James. But first, here's a quick word from the sponsor of today's episode, ABS Quality Evaluations. Get serious about sustainability. Assurance services from ABS Quality Evaluations can guide you with ISO certifications for environmental, health and safety, energy management, and more. Our globally accredited experts can help you become energy efficient and save overhead costs. Go to www.abs-qe.com or click on the link in the show notes to learn more. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for today's episode. I'm pleased to welcome my guest, James Maraca. James is the Chief Technology Officer at Enerspons. James, how's it going today? Good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to bring you on, talk a little bit about demand response. You know, A lot of our audience might know what that is and how it functions in the marketplace, but let's kick things off here. It was a basic question. What is demand response and what kind of role do you think it'll play in the energy transition? Sure. Um, demand response, I guess how, how I look at it, we look at it is the utility uh, has a bucket of money that they need to try to accommodate and keep up with people's energy growth within a, a region. They can spend that on new generation, power plants, solar, whatever else it is, or they can find ways to save energy. And, and we're on the save energy side. So demand response, we're definitely trying to go out and find customers who have something that they can shut down when prices are high, when grids are stressed, uh, when supply is limited. And those things could be supermarkets, uh, lighting, heating, cooling, refrigeration. It could be a, a water district with a pump uh, using gravity feed rather than their booster pumps and manufacturing plants, all kinds of loads. But everybody has something to give. So we're looking at demand response and specifically automated demand response as connecting utilities, grid prices, uh, CO2 emissions, back to energy management systems on site and shutting those down at really fine grain periods when uh, the grid needs it most. Okay. So you give a few examples of how this would work. So say you're at a supermarket and software is telling them, hey, now would be a time to kind of throttle things back. How long does that last? What kind of levels are we talking about here? 
Sure. So every customer is different. Every vertical is different. If we're looking at, say, retail stores, there's not much inside the building, right? You've got some lighting, heating, cooling systems. So, and what we will do is there's a program for everyone. And, and we go out and try to find customers with limited energy or lots of energy to save and, and find a program that fits their needs. So in, in a retail example, heating, cooling, everyone can give one, two degrees of temperature setback for an hour, two hours. Um, and then what we do is we uh, receive a signal from the utility from 4 p.m. till 6 p.m., please shut down. We then pass it on to that retail customer and they adjust their temperatures by two degrees and coast or uh, allow the, the building to warm up by a couple of degrees and all within the comfort range. We want to make sure that customers aren't annoyed, the salespeople and staff inside aren't annoyed, and we don't want to disrupt things. We're looking for those longer term. We want them to participate next time as well. Supermarkets, you know, larger loads, refrigeration, anti-sweat heaters, you know, the thing on the front of the freezer that makes you be able to see the the frozen peas, uh, we'd be able to turn those off. They use a lot of energy. Water districts, pumping loads, so pumping water to uh, uh, the top of a hill into a reservoir and then into a tank and using gravity rather than electrically or a powered pump to shut down those pumps and use gravity as the um, mechanism for distribution throughout a grid. So much talk these days in the US, you know, in the energy sector specifically in renewables is all about the Inflation Reduction Act. So how does this technology, how does this demand response technology, what kind of role can it play in that? Sure. So in response, we we are DR provider or we are energy markets access for a number of customers, as I said, different verticals across the spectrum. And, and we do that not necessarily, we don't call a retail store or a supermarket and say, shut something down. What we try to do is, and, and do do, is automate uh, all those shutdown activations, right? We connect two systems, heating, cooling systems, energy management, skater systems in water uh, and industrial uses, and aim to partner with those control providers, importantly, who gain us access to the controls at those sites. One site, in Southern California, you know, as a water district or maybe you're a local supermarket regional chain with 100 or, and so on, right? Trying to access all of those en masse. Um, so why, where I'm going with this in specifically for our IRA is it's, it's the feedback um, that we're getting from our partners um, that are going to make a lot of benefit and use from um, some of the things that are within that. And I guess part of the major feedback that we're getting from control providers or manufacturers in particular, battery storage, uh, on-site generation uh, for uh, CHPs or whether it's uh, gensets. One of the big key takeaways is the the ITC, the credit for projects, um, is being increased or extended to 2025 and it gets you 30% of project costs. So one of our go-to market strategies for quite uh, a while since inception has been using rebates, whether it's in a uh, an auto DR rebate, you know, $200 a kilowatt for a project available for automating load um, that was there, um, but not necessarily controllable and, and putting it into a program. And the ITC extension within IRA is sort of giving a, a national footprint for that. It's, it's compensating 30% of a, of a project for things that you may have been looking at beforehand, but now it's automating those and, and allowing those to be available for reliability or curtailment um, in our case for DR, when the grid's most stressed. So that's, for our partners, that's the part that we're most excited about. All right. Now you're the chief technology officer, right? So let's go look kind of in the weeds there. What new technologies are, are either on the marketplace or in the pipeline that will kind of enhance demand response offerings? 
Um, yeah, sure. Um, it's definitely for us automation at, at scale. Typically, demand response and large peak management or energy saving programs um, have really targeted large loads. You know, multi megawatt water districts or manufacturing facilities, things that literally on a phone call you can call and say, "Shut down your building, shut down your system," and we, you know, make a really big visible dent into the into the energy consumption on the grid. Where, you know, Internet of Things or, you know, cost savings on installed energy management systems across buildings, just the scale of visibility and control um, has definitely proliferated in industry. So we can connect to one control system, one supervisor system at a corporate headquarters, and from there control 1,000, 10,000 stores at touch of a button or via cloud connection. So for, for me, being able to continually automate scale of sites, it's bringing on more sites in more markets, but also uh, lower KW sites or curtailable sites, you know, 25 KW, 50 KW, things that, number one, you couldn't call on individually. I couldn't call a 1,000 stores across the country and shut down. And it was cost prohibitive to call a single 25 KW site previously. But in aggregate, in a region across the country, um, by doing an API or a, you know an on-site connection or a cloud-to-cloud connection, we able to get that scale that hasn't been able to happen before. All right, now if we were going to kind of take this technology and uh, not trying to be like NBC Law and Order and ripped from the headlines, you know, but there's been some some crises lately, right? There's wildfires in California, hurricanes in the Gulf. Are there any examples of how this technology has been used in those cases to reduce demand on the grid? Yeah, absolutely. Um, DR is a demand response is absolutely a, a tool that we advocate or is used, you know, as one of those hot day type of tools. You know, in the case of um, we see that in, in California uh, regularly with flex alerts coming down from whether it's uh, the Kaiso or the governor issuing mandates um, to shut things down and send text messages to everyone to behaviorally shut down your pool pump and your AC at home. Um, or whether it's in Texas, you know, when ERCOT had a big freeze and uh, the wind stopped blowing, it was froze over and the clouds covered the solar and, you know, gas generation shut down. We were called on from a, an emergency reliability standpoint as well. The generation is not necessarily there for various reasons. Can we sh- uh, mitigate the supply? And that's where we come in on the demand side to be able to, can we shut down supermarkets and water districts and so on? So absolutely, we, we see it as um, from a reliability as temperatures get up, as grid megawatt usage is more ne- is needed more of we turning on gas picker plants and but we're on the other side of hopefully can we shut down more load that's uh, for a couple of hours to instead of turning on something let's shut something off i got you now what are some of the specific offerings you know you and the team at enterspons have you know for these specific use cases Sure. We're across the country. Um, If I go to programs and then actually how we split up programs as well, across the country in in all areas from New York, New England, ERCOT, Texas, TVA, Arizona, California, there's a program for somebody everywhere, right? Typically programs can be four, six hours. They could also be on the other side of the scale, 15 minutes, right? Everybody, sites, uh, energy users, have a different appetite of how much energy they can shut down. 15 minutes, I can shut down quite a lot. Nobody's going to notice that the heating cooling is not on in my store. However, it may not be uh, applicable for a manufacturing facility to shut down for 15 minutes or stop pumping for 15 minutes because there's ramp downs of motors and back pressure in water 
water districts and so on. But those loads are really good for four, six hours where a heating cooling can't be shut off for four or six hours. So we absolutely, you know, we handle this in two ways is find more programs and partner with different utilities or other program operators across the country to be able to find programs that fit everybody's bucket. But as an aggregator as well, by being able to match up different um, types of customers together within a portfolio, we're able to give some customers a little bit of uh, the action on a six-hour program that they uh, may not have been able to have access to before because they're a small user with a big user and vice versa. So it's that flexibility of a portfolio of program access or within our own portfolio that allows us to, to match customers up. We'll be right back. Get serious about sustainability. Assurance services from ABS Quality Evaluations can guide you with ISO certifications for environmental, health and safety, energy management, and more. Our globally accredited experts can help you become energy efficient and save overhead costs. Go to www.abs-qe.com or click on the link in the show notes to learn more. And now back to my conversation with James Maraca, the Chief Technology Officer at Enerspons. All right. And I was doing a little bit of digging into your website before we came on today. And I, I saw there was a couple of programs, the Clean Response and the Price Response Program. So price response, pretty straightforward, right? When the prices spike and there's demand, you help your customers kind of throttle back. What's the Clean Response Program? Sure. Um, so both of these are sort of internal programs uh, within uh, InResponse. Price response um, can actually be a little bit more complicated as well in not just when the energy's price is high, you know, turn something off. These are happening in, in real-time markets, right? Um, so again, automated loads that can shut down in five or 15 minutes because there's a five or 15 minute interval where it's high now. But where that gets a bit more complicated is really partnering with utilities or energy retailers because some of those customers may have index or wholesale market exposure. Say they have 20% of their bill as that wholesale exposure. Um, so when the price goes high, they have exposure to expensive prices. Um, so we're using that as well um, with utilities. We can use that as a, as a hedge mechanism or with customers, allowing them to be able to increase their exposure to wholesale because we're going to cap hopefully their energy usage and tell them it's high, cap their energy usage. So across the average price of a year, um, they should actually have a lower average price than because they had hopefully uh, were only reacting to the low parts of those, uh, those wholesale exposure prices. From a clean response perspective, similar um, type of mechanism, right? As, a, as an aggregator, as somebody, a company who connects to utilities, we have a lot of data, not just prices, but we're seeing uh, how the renewable makeup of a grid versus um, fossil fuel generation. We understand what the CO2 or greenhouse gas makeup is at any point in time at, at a top level ISO level or down to a utility or regional level. Um, so what we're able to do is feed that data in and make educated decisions on the grid is dirty now let's tell our customers to to shut down so that we're actually increasing the CO2 that's reduced off the grid because it's the dirtiest time. On the flip side, the grid is very clean now. Let's turn on the fridges and freezers. Let's let's soak up some of that, you know, sun or wind that's generating and actually power our buildings from as clean as energy as, as we can. So you're sort of shifting or adjusting to the cleanliness or, or dirtiest of, of the grid as we can. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of folks associate demand response with throttling things back, but your program with Clean, it actually tells them when to crank things up. That, that's fascinating. So obviously, grid resiliency is is of paramount importance these days. You know, what kind of role does demand response play there? Yeah, DR again is is really great for resiliency. It's it's because it's live, because we're automated and understanding what prices are, what generation is being shut down at any given point in time. As we transition to, you know, in quotes, less uh, base load type of generation in solar or wind, and and being able to DR is used as a tool to fill those those gaps when maybe the wind isn't blowing as strong and we need to find uh, ways to, to save energy. Again, looking at hopefully something that's cleaner, shut down uh, a plant and, and compensate uh, customers that way rather than build a, another baseload type of generation. So as we transition to renewals, DR will play a, a quite a key role too. So what kind of role can demand response play You know, in this ginormous trend we're seeing to shift towards ESG? Yeah, it's it's definitely something that a lot of our customers are using demand response as a, as I said as one of those tools to be able to uh, reduce their scope one two uh, emissions. Um, we are, as I said, combining a couple of those things: clean response, and we're building out impact statements. Um, so I know how much energy a customer curtailed or saved during a DR event. I know when they saved it. I know what the CO two makeup was at a grid at any given time. And what's valuable to our customers is as an energy manager for a, a company to, you know, quarterly report back to our CFO of DR, not just made us dollars, but actually this is our CO2 impact. And it's one of those extra tools alongside LED bulb replacements or, you know, regassing our HVAC units or whatever else you use. DR is absolutely a, a tool to uh, have a bigger impact on your, on your emissions. So it sounds like it's something you can also track across, you know, scope one, scope two, and scope three, right? Your own savings yeah. and reductions, but also your, your customers. And we get a lot of our customers, you know, in that uh, CNI world are supply chain customers, you know, whether they're supermarkets or, or cold storage or agriculture. So they are, you know, filtering into those other scopes for somebody else as well. So, you know, it's an accounting thing all the way down and, and hopefully, um, DR is a great mechanism to pay for some of that accounting and those projects too. So, you know, one of the things I like to do on this podcast is I ask guests for their bold predictions. Do you have any bold predictions about how demand response will impact markets, you know, and grid sustainability in the next, say, three to five years? We see in demand response as, you know, another tool that utilities or customers can use in, you know, their cost savings, their grid reliability and so on in various different points. And as I said, as we get closer and closer to automation in real time or using CO2 or greenhouse gas emissions, we can start to do a lot more exciting things with that automation. The reality is that there's a bunch of customers who have connected things or sites that have connected things today. And really for bang for buck, it's a really quick thing to implement to get things connected, to start reducing energy and CO2 emissions today. So it's going to, instead of having years worth of, you know, generation build out for, of any kind, we can start to shut things down, you know, in a month or two with an integration today to quite large customers. So from, you know, getting peak load management under wraps sooner, it's a great tool. Okay, James. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. This is very informational and good luck. Yeah. Thank you for your time, Sean. And um, hopefully chat another time soon. That's our show for today. But before we get out of here, I want to say one final thank you to our sponsor, ABS Quality Evaluations. 
you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at RenewablesPod. And if you'd like a daily dose of renewable news delivered to your inbox, head to SmartBrief.com and sign up for the Renewable Energy Smart Brief. The Renewable Energy Smart Pod is a production of SmartBrief, a future company. We'll be right back.